Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In this podcast, I'm on the draw against Rotherham, the Morgan Rogers saga, and look ahead to Chelsea. This is the Borough Breakdown podcast, and this is why Borough Match Day Chatter in a pot. Support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for That's Craig it. Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Avanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Avanelli spots out. Hello and welcome to the Bora Breakdown Podcast with Johnny, Dana and Tom. We have a Bora Podcast that gives you all of your Bora Match Day chatter in a podcast. And Bora drew against Rotherham on Saturday to see us slip a bit further away from the playoffs. Um, but, you know, Chelsea on Tuesday. What a big game to look forward to. Let's go and get our key takeouts, obviously, from the week. Um, you know, Bora have uh, now had 35 shots against Rotherham in the two games this season. And, you know, it's got one. Um, so... Dana, what's your take out for the week? Probably that Bourne need to be stronger at the Riverside. We've actually got an identical record home and away this season. But our away form is top five in the league and our home form is firmly bottom half with 16th for points accumulated at home. We're averaging 1.43 points per game, which just isn't good enough, really. If you want to be mounting a serious playoff campaign, it needs to be nearing two points per game at home for me. Right now... Our away form is essentially what's propping us up and keeping us within touching distance of of that top six. And people can say that yesterday's game against Rotherham was one of those days and bad day at the office. But that reduces it to being a one-off. But it's not been a one-off type performance this season. We've seen it quite frequently. I was looking back at my notes, rejigging my memory of previous games. Millwall, first game of the season was poor. You kind of maybe give them a little bit of leeway there because it's the first game of the season. But QPR, we were abysmal. Stoke, that was after we got our season on track. We reverted back to our early season performances. We were really poor. Hull started well, got progressively worse in performance level, didn't take our chances. Honestly, the only home league games that I can say that confidently that Borough have played well in was the win over West Brom, the win over Preston, but they were shite, so does that really count? And then the the first half against Coventry, but that's one half of football. So, you know, the others have just been either good enough to get the result or poor. So Borough really need to step up at home, particularly against teams that adopt that low block and really try to frustrate us because more times than not it seems like they're succeeding in their game plan mm. i would 
probably put Leicester in that one as well. I'd say Leicester win was defensively, so, yeah. Yeah, defensively good enough, yeah. Just just enough. Um but I echo those thoughts. I was gonna say uh painful at home was probably my kind of take out. I was uh I think the last I think this season's been so up and down um at home. I mean the chips and gravy from the chip fans have been fantastic, you know. Um so I've enjoyed it. You know, he was there, but there was no curry sauce. I had to get gravy. I've had to go uh, well, to Burger King. I, I saw people ordering curry sauce on like the the meat and chips before you got there, Dana. So they must have no, had the last of it. Run out. It's too late. Yeah. It's a waste on meat and chips as well. Honestly, no. <laughs> it's disgusting. But I was going to say, apart from the chips and gravy, uh, we are very inconsistent at home. We need to find a way to get past these teams who are coming to to sit. And it was a big theme when we we were under Karanka, where teams would come to the Riverside and really frustrate. And we'll talk about it in, in, in just a moment, but. Yeah, I think mine was kind of the, the frustration element of it because I know how good we can be, just sometimes we don't really show it. But Tom, welcome back, of course. Um, and what's your key takeout? Yeah, I mean, my key takeout's nowhere near as in-depth as what's just been mentioned there, uh, although I agree with all of it. Um, I was thinking specifically about that game yesterday. I was just thinking, serves me right for looking forward to going to the Riverside on Saturday and, and, and watching that match, because all, all week I was just like, right, we've got that will, uh, win against Millwall. We're starting to to look a little bit more like a complete team now. I expect us to beat Rotherham at home and then obviously Rotherham turn up and don't want to play football, which, I mean, the result is, I mean, it's kind of the only little bit of credit I can give them because if you're down in that position, you're going to want to get points as, as much as you can and, and do anything you can to, to get them. But, I mean, they were awful yesterday. I think they were possibly the worst team I've seen at Riverside this season. I watched early season Borough, so uh, <laughs> that, that is saying something. Um, and it obviously wasn't helped as well by some really, really weak officiating by Darren Bond yesterday. Um, just absolutely pathetic, to, to be honest. So he, he was just going to let them get away with it the entire game anyway and had no no interest in making any any big calls or, or, or anything like that. It just looked like he just wanted to avoid any kind of drama, but still ended up involved in drama from from what he did anyway. So... That wasn't uh, wasn't fun. It wasn't a fun game to to watch. I kind of knew within the first twenty minutes, Rotherham just kind of coming here to to frustrate and sit deep and hopefully nick one on the counter. I mean, I didn't expect us to get an equaliser because at one nil, I just thought they're just going to be doing even more of what they've been doing all all game, sitting low. They've got something to hold on to now. They'll be falling over at any bit of contact like they have been all game and. That's probably it, and you know, did well to get the equaliser, and arguably should have won it as well. But yeah, from from what I was expecting to to see on Saturday this week, like I said, serves me right for hoping for an entertaining game at the Riverside, and you know, being served up that shite instead. Well, you weren't served up shite at the van. You know, you got your meat, chips, and gravy, which I feel like I've created a monster here, Tom. You know, you, you've had. I've well, you, you know, you know what, Johnny? It, it's absolutely fantastic food. And I'd pay that six quid for like, you know, a burger or something in the concourse anyway. So just thought I may as well start going to, to the Mac and Van and possibly see you there. I just missed Dana by about five minutes yesterday. So yeah, we're, all, we're all like a little burst together, it seems. Um, you know, the queue was big yesterday as well. I feel like it's catching on, you know, people have noticed and the word's getting out uh, about it. So 
what on the leeway, the, everyone. It's on the yeah. leeway. I don't say it, Dana. God, I'm trying to keep it. You know, serious big Q energy going on for the next few trying weeks. To, yeah. Trying to gatekeep the burger van. Johnny's like, stay away. It's ours. It's ours. Shite, you don't want to go. Uh, anyway, the, uh, we'll chat about um, Rotherham game then because we actually need to give Rotherham uh the first win on the road for 30 games um you know when we've played Rotherham this uh this season I did mention at the start we've had 35 shots uh and scored one against Rotherham whereas they've had three shots and scored two very very typical Borough. Dana how would you assess things yesterday Tom I'm going to come to you as well in just a moment but Dana it'd be good to get your overall assessment of the game well, I was deliberating before the game whether to actually go because I've been a bit poorly of late. So as my dad, so I asked him, like, are you sure you want to go? And he was like, oh, yeah. And he actually said, oh, I don't want to miss us put three past these today, which is just like, well done, dad. H well. But honestly, within about... He loves about... a 3-1, though. He loves a 3-1. Yeah, to be fair, he does. He always sticks with that, doesn't he? But, I mean, I said to you in the group chat before, well, it was maybe before the 30-minute mark, I'm so bored. <laughs> and I was. Like, they just, it felt flat. I was going to say that the crowd checked out, but I don't think they ever really checked in. It was just really, really, really flat. With that aside, Borough did still create chances. There were openings. We were a threat from set pieces. There were two Matt Clark headers that one of them I thought was looping in. It unfortunately went on the side of the, the post. Then you had Greenwood's shot that stung the palms of Victor Johansson. Never really thought that was going to nestle in the back of the net, but it was still a chance. And then Finazaz has a really, really, really big chance. And he just doesn't get the right contact on it with his left foot. He, he absolutely spanks it wide. But that came uh, as a result of some really good players, some really quick, incisive play. And that was really it in regards to quick, incisive play in that game. So Borough created chances in the first half, but then in the second half, they just didn't. And it never really felt like we put them under any significant pressure, even after they scored. And to be fair, in the second half, they had a few openings. And it was particularly notable because they didn't have any in the first half. They did have that one chance with John Hugel where we kind of we played it into we played it into trouble. But then in the second half, they did have a few attacks. So when they scored, I wasn't really that surprised. But we just didn't it, it wasn't a high quality game. It wasn't one that people will remember. In fact, in the first half, probably the most entertaining part of the game was when Tom Glover took a throw in, which I think tells you everything. And it was just just wasn't a good game at all and in the end I'm just glad that we didn't lose because I think it was 26 league games Rotherham have not won and genuinely when they scored I thought that's it typical Borough we've given them their first win in in forever so in the end I'm just glad that we didn't lose it spares our blushes ever so slightly that we didn't lose to a team that have been woeful away from home this season very frustrating one as well and Tom you, you said at the start that they were the worst side you've seen at the Riverside and the officiating was really poor. Why do you think both of those things were? So I'll start off with the officiating. Like I say, he just didn't want to make any of the, the big calls. You know, There was a huge one for, for a penalty in the first half, which, I mean, I was down the other end of the ground, so I thought it was Johansson that had wiped out force. I didn't see that it was actually uh, Revan from from Rotherham's defence who had done that. That, watching that back, is an absolute stonewall penalty. And the fact that the referee just kind of pointed for a goal kick after that, I'm like, what are you playing us? But 
he was making bad decisions all over the place and it wasn't even necessarily like against us. There was one where I think it was Morgan Rogers was running down the left-hand side, chasing a, a, a ball um, that had been played down the line. Johansson had come out trying to play a sweeper-keeper, absolutely wipes Rogers out, doesn't get any of the ball. Rogers has knocked it past him. And then the referee gives our front. And I'm like, like even I can see from the other side of the stadium that Johansson hasn't touched that. Rogers knocked it out for a throw-in, so it's either a foul, and you've got to give a foul and probably a yellow card to the goalkeeper for that challenge, which you probably just don't want to do. And and he, I think he's just trying to kind of even that out by saying that for a throw-in and, and just like carry on with the game. Rotherham, I thought, in the first five, ten minutes, I'd, I was looking at him playing against us and thinking, these are a f- very physical team to the point where most of our players uh, are being muscled off the ball quite easily. I was thinking, if they carry on playing like this, this could actually be like quite an interesting game to watch because it's going to be such a, a clash of styles. But I, I don't know what changed after that, but it just seemed to be every slight bit of contact they were hitting the deck for. And it would be even if they challenged our players and came off worse from it, they'd just remain on the floor and until the the ref pulls it back. And and sometimes it was positions he shouldn't have even been pulling it back from because it wasn't even head injuries after half the time. And he's just like, I stop play there and I will carry on afterwards. Horrendously weak officiate, and the linesmen weren't much better, <laughs> which I'm sure we we will kind of discuss in in, in a bit anyway. But yeah, I, I thought. As a whole, the officiating team were were poor. Rotherham just didn't seem to have anything about them. Like I said, though, you have to kind of credit the way they they set up and the fact that they would kind of do anything to to get those points in that situation. I still don't see enough in them that makes me think they're going to stay up. Barnsley are fifth in League One at the moment, so I fully expect that they'll be doing their kind of bi-yearly switch and Barnsley will be back in the Championship next season and we might have to suffer going to walk well again. But... (laughs) Yeah, they just they, they had nothing about them at all. There was one point where I think Borough was trying to play through the press from a goal kick, but the press never happened. Like the Rotherham players were pretty much stood on the edge of the box, and Glovers just stood there with the ball, like waiting for anything to happen. And they just kind of continued standing there. And it's just like you just really don't want to break formation here, and don't want to kind of break the the block that you have. So. Like I say, it's credit to them the way they're set up and the they've obviously ground out a point, but in terms of the way they've played, they never looked likely to create anything. The fact that they got a goal, uh, I think flatters them from from that game. And yeah, it they just never looked like doing much going forward. So if that's the way they're going to play for the rest of the season, I'd probably fear for them if I was if I was a Rotherham fan. But yeah, it getting a draw out of that's probably good for them, but the ref was letting them get get away with far too much. And I, I thought both linesmen were horrendous as well. There was just so much wrong with, with, with that match in terms of the officiating. Well, I'll, I'll ask you about the goal that Rotherham scores, because obviously there's two moments in the game which is dictated by offsides. Do you think that Hugo is offsides when he receives the ball and then you know they do break and then Cafu does score? Do you think he's off there? Like it's it, when you look at in multiple frames, you just I'm a bit unsure, but I think he probably is just slightly off. But what do you think, uh, Tom? I think to to the rule of the law and what VR would see from that, they would give offside, and it, it's because pretty much the back half of him is stood offside. He could have made things a little bit easier for us and stood a little bit closer to where the the change in the um, the lightness and the darkness of the grass happens to to make that a little bit better. 
maybe if Borough's camera wasn't at an angle, maybe if we had Bristol City's Google Earth cam, we could have <laughs> spotted that a little bit better. But to me, that does look offsides. I didn't see it um, from where I was sat because I'm, I'm kind of too far away. But when Carrick mentioned after the game, I thought that's interesting. I'm going to have to have, have a look into that. And that to me is fairly clear. I don't think Fry's playing him on at all, and the linesman has missed that, which has unfortunately led to, to our goal. Uh, their goal, sorry, us conceding the goal. I think in terms of that, if the linesman is given the benefit of the doubt to the attacking team, that should have happened down our end for our disallowed goal. Mm. Yeah, and like on that, on that, like I think, well, I'll bring you in data on on Borough's offside winner again. Like obviously, the, the law would stay that Cruxy's interfered to some extent but obviously what, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on, on the offside thing it's the right call on that one well I've looked at this over and over and over again I think to clear things up it's not Corburn that's marked as offside in this it's Crooks at the near post and I think I mean Carrick said it after the game that he's he's level that he's on on the line and that Corburn's obviously behind it which is is correct on, on Corburn's point I think it's incredibly tight it's Sean Morrison that's the last defender there. I think Crooks is... If we were to VAR this up, I think that Crooks would be offside. So I'm going to say, not confidently, that Crooks is offside there. Now, people say well, he doesn't touch the ball, but looking at the rules on the FA website this morning, it says that it's an offside if uh, there's a player clearly attempting to play a ball which is close when this action impacts on an opponent. So Crooks clearly mm. makes a player for the ball there in what I slightly believe to be an offside position. So I think that the linesman does have that right and correct. It's really tight, but I think because Crooks, in my opinion, is just about offside and he makes a player for the ball, it interferes. It's clearly an attempt to get there that will probably impact on Sean Morrison or another Rotherham defender. So I think that that is offside. I mean, at that point, I was on the edge of my seat because I thought, come on, Boron, like, you know, get that goal. And mm. I thought that we were going to get it. And we, we obviously got the, put the ball at the back of the net. But I think that was the, the correct decision. I know it's controversial, maybe, because some people think that it isn't. But I'd like to know what, what people think. Drop yeah. a comment and, and we'll see what the general consensus is. Yeah, it's a difficult one, I think. With the we're offside, I've always liked to favour an, an attacking player because uh, it makes the game a bit more exciting. Obviously, if you're on the opposite end of it, it's not as fun. But for me, I don't think Crooks gains an advantage there. Do you know what I mean? He's he's fairly level. And I know obviously Corbin finishes the the chance, and we'd go away and we'd be happy. But I don't know. I just think when something is that level, I think similar to the probably the Hugo thing as well. I'm 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 still a bit like, how much of an advantage does he gain there? Like really. But it's a difficult one. I think you can kind of go on about it, but it's just... just a... I was going to say, just, just to add on to that, I think from what I've seen after the game, there's no one who's been able to say with absolutely 100% certainty whether mm. Crooks was offside or on. So yeah. I think with that benefit of seeing all those replays back and seeing still images and stuff like that, and it's still fairly inconclusive, how the linesman is able to make up his decision in that split second in, in you know, real time that Crooks was far enough offside that he could flag is a bit bemusing. And I'm saying that as well because I'm pretty much sat in line with with where that happened. And I couldn't tell whether Crooks was offside or not. So 
you know, I, I think that's again the the officiating team just not wanting to to get in, involved in any of the wrong sort of, of of drama. But they've done it anyway because it was it was going to be dramatic one way or the other. There, I don't think the linesman had got that right because in you know, if we can't tell from stills and and replays whether or not Crooks was definitely offside, then the linesman couldn't in that situation either. Yeah, we angled try to angle it, didn't we, and put the offside lines in front on, on Y Scout and it was still like tight and we were just we were still unsure like um whether it was or uh, is or isn't and if the linesman it depends how where he's positioned as well. Like when I was officiating when I was younger, it was like always trying to stay a little bit in front of the last defender. So then you've got enough space to see behind him. And then also you'd be able to kind of understand the line. I don't know. Where's he positioned? Like, is he, has he, has he seen Sean Morrison behind Crooks? Like it's, it's just so many different things. And what we don't know, we're not the lines, uh, the linesmen. So it's a, it's a difficult one. I think it's a really difficult one. It's frustrating, but I don't think you can dwell on it too much. I think the results, the result now, and we've got to try and move on and hopefully get some points when we're back in action in the championship in a couple of weeks time but then there was a couple of like individual things that came into the game yesterday around obviously one Marcus Force coming on um, and scoring again I'm just going to give you an opportunity one more time <laughs> surely 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 he has to be that central striker for the time being well yeah for the time being absolutely given our lack of options up front I will say though that I'm not mad at Marcus Force being played on the right generally because I think whether he plays there or whether he plays as a number nine, he's going to make an impact. He's going to score so long as you get him in those positions. But right now, yeah, I think he has to be playing as that number nine because we just don't have the option. I was surprised actually when he came on yesterday and he wasn't played through the middle. I mean, there was interchange in positioning of, of Borough's front line, wasn't there? But mm. there were quite a few times. That I think he was mostly on the right, wasn't he, really? So... It is interesting from Carrick that he's not fully committed to putting him in that number nine position, despite having previously said um, after the game against Millwall that he can play there. I want to see him there more often. I'm hoping that maybe in the Chelsea game, maybe in the Sunderland game, we can see him play there. But whether he plays there or whether he plays on the right, I think Marcus Voss is good enough to make an impact and to score goals because he's a natural finisher. And I think we saw that yesterday. And also, shout out to Morgan Rogers because that was a really good piece of skill to kind of back heel it, flick it on to, mm. to Marcus Force. And yeah, really good finish, really good piece of play and uh, managed to get us out of jail there in the end, really, didn't they? It did. And, you know, we'll come to Morgan Rogers in, in, in a moment, but I want to speak about that front four as well, uh, Tom, because what were your thoughts on it? Because it felt like it didn't, really click until like the last 15 20 minutes or so so you had Greenwood there you had Azaz uh, Rogers and, and Jones at the start obviously Force came on and we moved it with Crooksy and, and Corburn so what was your kind of thoughts on that front on that front four I wasn't a big fan of it to be honest there, there was a few good bits of play in there but I think for me, when Force came on he should have been through centrally and the reason I'm kind of saying that is he is the the best of those four. I mean, he, he was you know, trained centre-forward when he came into the club, but he's the best of those four at picking out attacking runs. And I feel like a lot of our better bits of play yesterday came from him making attacking runs. Obviously, we should have had a penalty off, off one of them. He forced a low save off, off your hands on another one, ends up scoring off another one. His positioning is ideal for what we need in that central position. I don't mind seeing him on the right-hand side if we've got an actual striker playing in the number nine. 
So say if, for example, we had Coburn or Latte Laugh, I don't mind seeing uh, Force on, on the right-hand side. However, uh, I just I didn't think Greenwood was offering enough in that number nine position to to justify keeping him there as well. You know, he had that that one good shot in the in the first half, which was obviously off a, a corner kick routine. But I mean, there, there was there was a point in the second half where he had the ball about thirty yards out. He had people overlapping on the right hand side. He had options, you know, centrally and to the left if he wanted to go backwards. And he ends up shooting and dragging it right wide from about 30 yards out. And I'm like, what possessed you to make that decision? Like, <laughs> just pass it to someone in a better position. Like, I think it was Aylin who was on the right-hand side. I'm just like, he was the pass. You give it to Aylin. He's got a clear cross into the box, and you just decide to shoot from there. He's infuriating to watch at times at, at the moment to me. Um, and I, I think if we had made the decision to, to put force directly up front in the number nine position when he came on. You play a three behind him of Greenwood, Azaz and, and Rogers. Move Rogers over the right hand side. He's capable of doing that. And he, you know, he's he's got the intelligence to to create chances from there. I think we we might have had a little bit more luck in the game. So yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of it and I can kind of see what we're trying to do with the interchange and positions, but I'd rather we just kind of like going back to what we had last year. Everyone knows what position everyone's going to be in when we're on the attack and and, and transitioning. And I just think now it's we're, we're trying to be fluid, but it, it, it's a little bit too fluid going forwards and to the point where people aren't in the right positions. And and I think that that costs us a little bit moving forward. Yeah, like you described positional plan, you know, like around like just getting people in certain areas and how do you occupy space a lot better. And for me, I was, I was going to say that first half, the front four for me, it felt very samey-samey. Um, it was like Azaz and Greenwood were trying to occupy the same space. There was, you know, when when Jones went off, I thought it was a big moment in the game because he was only providing width. And then when Force came on, it was the same thing. There was three or four players in a line in similar areas. So you you it was very easy for... For a talk uh, to keep that low block, and I'll come on to it in a moment. But yeah, once we changed things, and we brought, uh, we took Greenwood off, and we we brought Corbin and we brought Crooksy on, it just felt like it gave Rogers more freedom to come back and, and go and, and go forwards. It felt like we gave uh, Force the opportunity to stick to his position. So I agree with you on that one. And then we just looked a bit more. I had a look like a team. I had a bit more conviction about the player. Because I thought the first half, it was very much, right, okay, if we can't beat the lines, we'll horseshoe, we'll do the same thing again. And it made it very easy. But Dana, what's your thoughts on that, on that front four yesterday? Because I know we've spoken about it in the past that sometimes like, interchange abilities is, is, is a really good thing. You can create a lot of uh, options and a lot of problems down. And <laughs> it just didn't, yeah, it's, it just didn't, I agree with Tom, I just don't think it worked yesterday. What do you think? One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah, I've said this before. I think if you put Latilath in a number nine position and still have that fluidity, I think it could work. But... The options that we had yesterday, they all want to get on the ball and they, they're they all going to come deep and come central to do that. Yep. And so, yeah, I think the lack of, of width generally from Borough is something that I'd like to see altered. I mean, in terms of crossing, we're well down on our crosses into the box this season compared to to last season. I was having a look at it before the podcast today. 21.4 crosses per 90 last season, 15.9 crosses per 90 this season. Obviously, the sample size is much less this season because we've played less games. But it does, like from the eye test, feel like we're not crossing the ball as much. And I think that we probably needed to do that yesterday. There was a, a lack of incisiveness that I mentioned earlier that really affected our play. And I always think it when we come up against these low block teams that you you have to get your key players moving the ball quicker. You've got to get them into good positions. Sometimes that doesn't always mean centrally. Sometimes that can mean pinning a team wide and stretching them. And I just think that we were a bit one-dimensional yesterday. Everything did come quite central. Uh, as you mentioned there, Johnny, I think players were all roaming around in the same positions. So, yeah, it, it didn't work. And I think the sooner that we bring in a striker or the sooner we get Latte Lath back up to speed or maybe bring Corburn back into the mix, I think probably the better. Although I will say with Corburn, there is a big agenda against him at the moment. I personally think that he should have been loaned out this season. I always thought that. I thought that in the summer. But he's an option. And whilst he's an option, I think we've maybe got to get him back into the mix. Obviously, he's been injured. But yeah, if we could get that number nine, that striker in there, I think that would probably bring it together a lot more because I think I agree with Tom, it's too fluid at the moment. Yeah, and I think with Corbin as well, like there is a big agenda on him at the moment. But I yeah. think you could I think you could be grateful for what he's done to get us to this point this season. He's contributed when it matters. It's not always brilliant. And you can tell that he's still raw. And I agree with you, Dan. I think you should go out on loan. But he's still our player. And it's all right to think that he's not good enough. And I understand it. And it's just like you know, he's kind of, he's like our stopgap at the moment, but he's still okay. He's not like the worst football I've ever seen. You know, obviously I've definitely seen worse strikers than Josh Corbin play for Middlesbrough. Um, John Hugel. <coughs> Hugel, Caleb Fallon, lead on Goog. You know, there's there's a lot worse. Uh, so you could, you could have a long list of strikers. But for me, Corbin, yeah, I'm grateful for what he's done so far, but I do think the loan is the best move for him just to see him develop more, get more game time, play a bit more rhythm in his game. 
Um, but Tom, obviously, Dana mentioned it just then around like crosses and Borough down on that. Someone who contributes to Borough's crosses quite a lot is Isaiah Jones. Appreciate he does love that low ball into the box. You can't really loft it over five feet from time to time. But he went off injured yesterday. He's really important to Borough at the moment, especially when the injuries that we have. So how much do you think of him? he'll be a miss on Tuesday if he can't play? I think for me, I mean, he is going to be a, a, a big miss on Tuesday. Uh, realistically, thinking ahead to Tuesday, we're probably not going to play in our our usual kind of setup. It's probably going to be 5-3-2 again. I, I don't know for sure if Aylin's cup-tied. He's I don't not. know if I no, he's, 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 He can play. No, he's not. He can play. No, I think he's yeah, cup-tied. He Leeds went out early and I don't think he played. Well, Dennis double-checking. Oh. Uh, Tom. <laughs> I think that would be a miss on, on, on Tuesday because realistically, it's going to be mm. 5 uh, five three two. We're probably going to have a midfield free of either Barlasa Hackney and Housen or O'Brien. We've got our three centre backs that we all know they'll be Freiklaff, Vandenberg. We'll have Engel left wing back, and then we need a little, a little bit kind of uh, going forwards uh, at right wing back. Um, Dan has just confirmed to us on on our chat that Aylin is cup tied, so. It's it's like who do you now play at right wing back? It's probably going to end up being Marcus Force or something, but can't think of anyone who could play there at the moment, and that would be a bit of a worry. Maybe if Housen's fit, we play the midfield three with O'Brien and play Housen there because he's played right back before. But that it, it does give a real selection headache because it's like who can can really play there. Unless, you know, Australia have any chance of being knocked out in the next 24 hours and Silvera can come back <laughs> early and, and get himself in the team. I, I, I don't know where that leaves us for, for right wing back. Because hopefully we're, we're going to be playing with like a front two of like you know, Rogers and Force. Although that might end up being like Rogers and Coburn with Force right wing back. Who knows? But like I said, that does pose a real selection headache for, for Tuesday. Hopefully he's recovered and back in time for Sunderland. Mm-hmm. But... On Tuesday, you're looking at the the players who who can get forward and and hurt Chelsea, but also have the pace to get back. Isaiah Jones played absolute quality in that first leg, so he'd be a massive miss against them. I think he'll be fine for Tuesday. I do. I mean, it was a really unnecessary push from Hugill, who resorted to thuggery yesterday. Really, let's be honest. And I suppose when you're not a very good professional footballer, that's kind of what you reduce yourself to. But it was a really unnecessary push, and I think it might be a nerve thing in his back. Maybe um, I don't know how serious those are, but I reckon I, I think that he'll be fine. I just have a sneaking suspicion he'll be okay for for Tuesday, and hopefully, because if we're going to play on the counter attack like we are going to, most likely against Chelsea, we're going to need Isaiah Jones. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think he's really influential, and sometimes where when you look at Bora as well, and you're thinking, oh, okay, we do we do need wingers to. To break down that low block, and I was looking yesterday, and when we when we look at low blocks in general, I remember when the crank we came up came up with it quite a lot. But just in general, I think the low blocks are very interesting, like tactic formation anyway. Especially when you see a team play that that five four one. And when I was looking at Boris average positions yesterday, I thought we made it really easy for them. And when you look at the way that uh, Azaz and Greenwood and, and Rogers and, and Jones initially, they're all really together in, in a diagonal line. And, and Aylin was bringing that as well. So it was really kind of a 5v5 when we were going forward. But when you look at a, a low block in general, and you've got to think of what are these three or four things that you can do to really unlock that, that defence. And I think one I think one is tempo. And tempo and space, for me, are probably the two biggest parts 
of football in general. If you get your tempo right and you're able to create a lot of space, you're able to break teams down. Um, your movement off the ball uh, too. I think we were too central at times. We became very static and also creating overloads as well. And, you know, I was looking at like, how do we break this down? And I, I do enjoy positional play in general. Like when I like look at like how I want to set teams up and how I want to play, I'm very, I would say structured in some extent. I want to try and create like overloads in wider areas, but that's how I see football anyway. But for me, it was like, if I was to if I was like, how do we make sure that, you know, we can bring Rogers up to help with Hackney and Balassa? How do we make sure that, you know, we pull players out of position? And how do we ensure that, you know, we, we become a bit more potent in front of goal when we do play these sides? And for me, it was more of a case of, if we were are to do it, I would like to see Rogers come further up the pitch really help the midfield, try and bring a centre-back out, you know, try and create those triangles or the, the diamonds on on the wings to get in behind and, you know, create that space where, you know, that the, the between the six-yard box and the edge of the box, that for me is like gold because you're able to always drag the ball back and someone will be in that position centrally to score. For us, we didn't do it yesterday. We were very along the line. We essentially, when we were stood still, they were able to block the passing lanes and then we would just go on horseshoe from side to side when really it just needed, say, Rogers to come up or Zaz to come up. But when everyone saw Samey Samey, they've all got the same like thoughts of, oh, I want to impact the game in this certain way, but we just didn't really do it. So I think it's why when we did have a striker come on the pitch and strikers, and it made things a little bit better for us and a bit more impactful. But for me, yeah, that, that low block, it's going to be something that we're going to come up against more and more, I think, over the next few weeks. But... We just need to work hard. I think work harder off the ball and be a bit more smarter in our decisions. And that is kind of it, really. And there's, it's more on the players to to do that. And I feel for Azaz in some aspect because he's a new player, adjusting our style. And it's very difficult when the same player is... You've got a very similar player who stood right next to you and you can't really impact the game. But that's on Azaz, though, to come up and try and create the space elsewhere. But let's move on because... There is some news uh, from the week and, you know, it kind of fits the narrative of what I was mentioning there around uh, someone who can impact the game, bring players out. And it's Morgan Rogers. He's been superb, I think, for the last few months. And he is Borough's highest uh, rated in terms of goal contributions this season. And it came out of nowhere on, on Thursday night that he was linked with a move uh, with Aston Villa. Borough rejected an initial fee of £5 million. They've been rejected a second bid, but they're expected to go on for a third, which... In my opinion, I think we will accept that at some point. But what are your guys' thoughts on the Rodgers deal? Because it, it just came from absolutely nowhere, Tom. And it was just a, a bit of a shock, right? Oh, yeah, it definitely was. I literally just came back upstairs in my hotel room. I haven't been on Spado with my girlfriend when, when that news kind of broke through. And I was like, oh, I've just gone from being absolutely relaxed to like, oh, I didn't want this to happen. This has ruined it. But uh, yeah, after just six months, it, it, it is a bit of a weird one. Especially because I think he's got quite a still got quite a way to go in terms of his development. I don't think we're seeing anywhere near what what Rogers can do. He is obviously one of our ha, has been progressing really well. I would say one of our better players, but I still think there's a lot to come from him. And for for Villa to supposedly be making him their top target this window, it's it's really confusing to me because I'm, I'm I'm just like he's he's nowhere near starting in in your team just yet so you you literally are just paying for potential here but 
at the same time, you, you can't be annoyed when we ask for a fee that, that kind of warrants that potential, especially after only six months of his contract. Mm. What, do, what do you think as well, Dan? Obviously, he signed a four-year deal in the summer, a um, million-pound transfer fee. Boris shouldn't really have to sell, but can you understand it if a, a, the right fee came along? Yeah, if the right fee comes in from Villa, they have made a third bid per recent reports because every player has their price but I kind of agree with Tom I understand that this is our model we are bringing in players for low values developing them and then selling them on for a profit that's how Borough are going to be sustainable in the long run but it just feels very premature doesn't it I know that Brentford and Brighton are always mentioned in these conversations in regards to this new approach by the way fans are going to have to get used to that myself included because it's very much new to us but I don't think that Brighton or Brentford sold any of their key assets in six months of them being there. So, yeah, I mean, Borough will have a price on Morgan Rogers. It just feels very early, too soon to be like mm. it, it did come out the blue because he's got a four year contract, I think, and six months into it, he could potentially leave. Now, personally, I think it's a case of when rather than if, because Villa are very wealthy. They've got very wealthy investment at the top of the club. The tidbits of information that have come out say that Unai Emery is what Tom mentioned there, priority target, which is very interesting within itself. And I think marrying those two together, I think it's only a matter of time before Villa stump up the cash that, that Borough probably won. But yeah, it's, it's all very weird. You can't begrudge him if he wants to go and apparently you know, he's keen on it. it. And I will mention this, it has been said that he will not force a move he will not force a move, so that's good to hear. But you know, he's a he's a Birmingham lad, right? So it's going back closer to home. They're third in the Premier League. I know that he probably won't go in there and start straight away from the, for them, but it, there's a big opportunity there. So you can't begrudge him if he's keen on it. But yeah, it just seems very premature for me. Mm. How much would you accept if the if the fee when when the fee obviously it's it's going to keep rising until Borough, uh, you know, eventually accept, but. What would be the the right fee for you both to to sell him at? Then what, what do you think? I think about maybe eight million. I think you you mentioned potential paying for potential. I think you can maybe get a little bit extra out of the deal if you go with that sort of approach. But for me, I'd say about eight million. I don't know what Borough's valuation is because nothing's really come out in the press to say what it is, but and what the bids have been from Villa, but I think about eight million for me. Tom, get your football manager head on. Um <laughs> if you could structure the if you could structure the deal, what would you what would you structure it as? Well, so for me, I have seen like a few kind of guesstimates from from journalists where they're kind of saying people are suggesting that it'd be around ten million. I think that's fair. You know, you're like I said earlier, you're not paying for his current ability. You are paying for potential. There's also the English tax on there as well. Uh, it helps towards registration rules, so you've got to consider that. And, and the other thing you have to consider is that City have a sell-on clause in there as well. So, you know, if, if that is like 20% or something like that, we'll probably still end up making around $8 million from the deal anyway, which I think, in, in terms of the players we've sold... That would still put him towards some of like the the top half of like our record fees received. Um, I, I think it's only really recently where we've started selling players for over fifteen million or or, or thereabouts. So you, you're still making about eight times what you paid for him. 
you know, if, if reports are to be believed that that we did only pay City one million and agreed to a sell-on clause. So I think ten million's around a fair deal. I think it would explain some of the links that have come out in the last week or so if we knew that Villa were going to do this. So both clubs apparently have a, a pretty decent relationship, so it's probably been floated. Yeah, I, I think from that, our recruitment now is probably good enough that we already have a list of replacements identified. I assume from what we've we've heard from Kieran Scott from Carrick in the past that we still we keep like an ongoing list of targets from every position. So it wouldn't surprise me if if you, if you know we we accept something like ten million and then we buy someone else who's like two or three million and and the you know the cycle starts again. Yeah, and look, that, that's the kind of club we're at at the moment, and I think where we should be and how we should operate as well. Like we are, we have to be a selling club now. That's how a lot of things become more sustainable. It allows you to spend more in the long run, all that kind of stuff. But for me, on on the deal. I'm not mad at Rogers potentially going. It's not like I don't rate him. It's just the, it's just it's a good move for him. It's a good move for us. If we were to get a really good fee for it, you can whack a sell on clause if you want to, and if he does well, fantastic. Um, you're going to get more money in the future. If he doesn't do well, you've still gained eight or nine million pound from a, a player that cost you peanuts in in comparison to, you know, those transfer fees that are out there these days and. You know, six months is early. It's very early. But credit to the like the coaching staff, to the to the recruitment team, just to identify it, see how he'd fit and develop him. But he still has a long, long way to go, and I'm just intrigued to see how he does. But you cannot blame a player for wanting to do like do that move as well, especially if you're from that area where they're currently playing. Like you, you can't fault it. But I could potentially see a deal where he does come back to us for the remainder of the season. Whether we want that or not, I'm not too sure because you know it's another loan play. You have to look again in in the summer, but I think it's entirely up to us. I think on on, on that front, but I'm assuming, Danny, you can see. Well, could you see Borough replacing him? Why do you think he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna come back in the in the window? I don't think it would be beneficial to have him back because then we're just developing another team's player again. Asset, and, and yeah. yeah, it it becomes developing Villa's asset instead of ours so I can't see I think the potential if he does go Morgan Rogers replacement is already here in Finazar's not a direct replacement but still somebody with that creativity just in a different sort of way I think with Finazar's it's more vision isn't it and with Rogers I think he's still very intelligent but it's that kind of physicality of being quick and, and strong so yeah um I think that Azaz is, is kind of already there but I hope he doesn't go Rogers, because mm. he's still very much in the the line of development, but we'll see. Yeah, we will. Um, but I do feel fairly confident we'll see him in a in an Aston Villa shirt uh, come the end of uh, end of January. But let's move on. Let's move to everyone's favourite place, the present place. Ah, yes, the praise and place, the only place where to give praise to a player, coach staff member, Tom's fabulous haircut, um, the chip line that we all go to now, and Dana, just for being healthy, just enough to do a podcast uh, <laughs> as, as well. Um, but guys, who gets your place in the praise and place this week? Tom, would you like to go first? I can do. Uh, I've only got two this week. Um, I'm going Matt Clark and Marcus Force. Clark, I just think he he looks absolutely fantastic in our, our defence. 
when he first came back in and it was very much he he had to be come back in on, on very short notice against Leeds and I think the general consensus was like oh god like any time he goes into anything physical is he gonna like snap in half or, or something like that it, it, it's like you know you, you need to kind of wrap him in cotton wool essentially because you know how long is he gonna last but I think he, he's proven that wrong and he just looks so good in our defense I, I, I think for me him and Van Den Berg, I know you guys were having a discussion on this kind of last week on who do you pick in defence. For me, it's him and Van Den Berg uh, at centre back if, we, if we're playing with uh, with two centre backs. Because um, I, I, I think playing Clark on that left hand side opens up that pass to, uh, to Engel uh, so much better. And he just looks so composed on the ball in defence. Looks like he's never been out. So. Yeah, I've got to give praise to to Matt Clark and then Marcus Force just for for coming back in the last couple of weeks. Two goals in two games. Hopefully, he can get a third one against Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. His goals per minute is is absolutely fantastic. Forty minutes since he's came back, um, <laughs> since he haven't played a full ninety. And Dana, who's going to be in in your place this week? I'm going to keep it quick. I'm going to divert slightly and, and take up a different approach. I'm going to praise the goal that we scored both Rogers' assist and then the finish from Marcus Force. I think it was a very good goal and uh, what I would have wanted to have seen more of from Bori yesterday. So, yeah, I'm going to praise the equaliser, the way that it was constructed, the assist, and then the finish from our flying fin, Marcus Force. Yeah, put that goal in the Louvre. Um, <laughs> and uh, for me, I'm going to probably go... Hayden Hackney, I'm joking, he was, he was garbage yesterday. It was one bad game in a long yeah. time. He knew Newcastle were watching them, that's why. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> the reason why, yeah. That's what it means. Uh, yeah, Credit to me, Dad, I'll, for that one. Yeah, thank you for that, Jay. Um, he can fix all the laptops and your devices, just to give him a little shower there. That'll cost you 50 quid as well. Um, <laughs> I'll go with probably Marcus Foss, I think. Marcus Foss for coming back and scoring 2-2. Two and two. Super valuable to us, isn't he, Marcus? And just so nice to see him back in a Borussia because we've missed him on uh, this podcast and as and as fans as well. That's always good uh, for that. But let's move to everyone's second favourite part of the show, and it's trivia time now. Um, I kept this question away from you over the over the last night, but I just thought it was quite a funny one to put in. And the question was around goalkeepers: Ross Turnbull and Mark Schwarzer both played for Chelsea. Um, if you're on Sky Sports, you completely f- uh, forgot that he played for Middlesbrough over 300 times, Max Watson, but he was known as the Chelsea goalkeeper. So give, give me this opinion of how many appearances did the player. So who played more appearances for Chelsea, uh, Ross Turnbull or Mark Swatter? You get a bonus uh, for getting the right number as well uh, for the pair of them. But your time starts now. <laughs> Yes, time is up. Time is up. I mean, I'm going to go for all appearances as well, so it includes maybe some random ones like the marathon on tour. Um, two. But who who played more games and how many did they play? Uh, Ross Temple, Max Water. Who would like to go first? I will. Right, go on and then, embarrass uh, myself. 
Um, I've gone that Turnbull, ignore the first one, that's last week's answer. I've gone Turnbull, played more, and he played 22 mm-hmm. games and Schwartz have played five, and I think that that's so unbelievably wrong, it's untrue, but I'm going to say it with my chest, and if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. then I'm very loudly wrong. Okay, and then Tom, what are you going to go for? Well, I've gone for Schwartz, and it's a total guess. I, di- I didn't even try and guess the, the appearances, because I know that I'd be badly wrong. <laughs> I was looking at it, and I just thought, uh, surely, like Schwartz is the better keeper, so he would have played more. But then I, I can remember Turnbull playing for them in cup games. Turnbull got a Premier League winners' medal despite barely playing. I was like, ah, oh, it's going to be like a trick question, and it's going to be Schwartz. So I guess that way. Did he get a Champions League medal? Am I like completely wrong on that, Ross Turnbull? Uh, he he is one of the most successful English goalkeepers uh, yeah. of all time, Ross Turnbull. Um, yeah, got a Champions League medal 2011-2012. But yeah. the most prestigious award that he got was Middlesbrough Young Player of the Year 2007-2008. Mm. Well, there you go. You know, what more do you want in life uh, than that <laughs> one? But the answer, it is Ross Turnbull. He played seven league games, but 19 games in total. Oh, um, for Chelsea and Max Water played four early games and 12 appearances in total. So Ross Turnbull is the winner, uh, but it is still very, very close. Um, but now it gives us it's it's prime just both uh, for the Chelsea game uh, this week. You know, we're both going to the second leg, leading one nil at Stamford Bridge. Dana, you are going, of course. How do you feel about it? Are you excited? Nervous? Not asked? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm nervous. I've been nervous ever since I got the tickets, to be honest, because we are at an advantage, but I don't know how big of an advantage it is because it's only a goal and we are going to Stamford Bridge and I just don't envisage Cole Palmer having a hat-trick of of misses again. I think that they will be more clinical, so I'm prepared for the worst, but I'm still hopeful. And even if we do end up getting beat, just incredibly proud of Borough. And I said it after the... The first leg, no matter what happens at Stamford Bridge, like they can't take that night away from us. So kind of, I know everyone says free hit with games like this, but it kind of still is again, I guess. And if we have the same result that we had yesterday, then we're through, aren't we? So yeah, I'm just fingers crossed, toes crossed, everything crossed that we could get a good result. I'm excited, but I'm probably more nervous. And I'm also not looking forward to that journey there because that is going to be... Oh, God, <laughs> it's just going to be long. And on the way back, if if we do lose, it's going to be even longer. But come on, Bora, we can do it. We can do it. Yeah, Dan, you, you're going to be, uh, abs- you're going to absorb the, the famous chant of Chelsea, 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 <laughs> uh, maybe once or twice uh, for the evening. And Tom, how are you feeling about it as well? Um, obviously, we are leading what to, to some extent, but... Are you feeling excited? Nervous? Not asked. I'm feeling just exactly the same as I did before the first game, just like extremely calm to the point where I'm just like in mm-hmm. like a, ca- a casual kind of viewer on me at the moment, just like he's not even asked. Like I'm just like completely calm. First, like as Dana said, they can never take that away from us. I've now seen Borough beat Chelsea in person for the first time in my life. So I'm I'm very happy with that. You know, we're we're taking a one goal lead there. Who knows what can happen? I mean, obviously Cole Palmer missed those chances in the in the first leg, but let's not like disguise the fact that we gifted two of them to him and Chelsea were absolutely dire. So if they play like that again, we're probably gonna go through. But you know, if if we go on to like 
lose this 2 0 or something like that, it's you still can't be that disappointed because we've already won the first leg. They can't take that away from us. And it's probably probably a fixture that we weren't expecting to even be in this position in anywhere. So the fact that we are and we've got something to take into into the second leg, it's all you could really ask. Well, I mean, it's not all you could ask for. You could ask for 2-0 or 3-0, but a, a win before we go into the second leg at Chelsea um, and, and keeping a clean sheet as well. It, it's an ideal situation we've put ourselves in. I hope we can do it. I, I'd love to... I'd say I'd love to go to Wembley again. I've never seen a team that went to spot win there, but obviously it's uh, it's more the experience of the thing. So yeah, I really hope we can do it. It's just at the moment, it's just kind of like what what will be will be. I'm not going to finish the yeah. the second half of that. But yeah. <laughs> do, do you think we can though? Tom, you say you hope we can, but do you think we can? I think we can, yeah. If Chelsea play like they did last time, we play like we did last time, then we're probably going to go through, but it, it, it really depends which Chelsea shows up this time. Yeah, and what do you think, Dana? Can, can Borough do it? I think so, but I do suspect it'll be a different game, and I do think that we will concede, but the thing is, is that the game state going into it is that they will need to attack us and they will do that anyway because of their quality and the superiority that they have in that regard but then Borough can catch them on the counter and I do think that Rodgers and Jones in particular and Forces finishing they're the three key players for me in this game and Crooksy if he comes on happy birthday for yesterday Matt Crooks if he comes on he's such a clutch player isn't he that we just need to make sure that we take our chances because I think we will get some we just need to be clinical with them because I don't think we'll get an awful lot of them but when we do get them, we need to take them. I think we can do it, but it's still a hope rather than a conclusive um, belief, if that makes sense. Yeah, and look, I would start Cruxy uh, on Tuesday just because it's something unusual for a, a, a for a Chelsea side to face against because they don't really play against people like Crooks, really. And, you know, the amount of shithousery calls in the first leg... Um, like little moments here and there. I think it's just like a, it's a good player to have. And, you know, you've got your outlet, of course, with Rodgers there. You know, we'll have force in the team. If Jones plays, then fantastic. But I wouldn't mind seeing a Crooksy uh, player on, on, on Tuesday as well. But it's in the balance. I'll ask for your predictions. But I, I feel a bit nervous when I talk about it now because, like, the first, like, I wasn't an ass at all. When we scored, yeah. that second half went on, I was just, I was a mess. I like I couldn't watch it. I think it's mainly because I was just seeing how like Chelsea was set up, and I was like, "Oh my god, this it just takes one good ball, and it just never came." So I was very stressed out. Matt was consoling me for a good <laughs> eight minutes or however long, long it was in that second half. Um, but what's your predictions? What if you could, if you had a gun at your head now? What would be your score prediction? Uh, Dana, do you want to go first on this one? Two-one oh, Chelsea, which would take it to extra time, wouldn't it? So it depends, isn't it? Is it? Is it? If it's straight to pens, Bora win on pens. Oh my god! If it goes to penalties, pfft, I do not think that I'll be able to stand up. I will need something significant to keep me calm. In fact, nothing would be able to keep me calm. I'd be an absolute wreck. I'm already a wreck. So, God help me in this game. Two-one <laughs> Chelsea. Take it to pens. Bora win on pens. And then you, Tom. What are you thinking? I'm going one-one. And I'm going Borough's equaliser coming quite late as well. Because I always oh, think, you know, going down the football conspiracy theory route here, 
I always think when there's a game on Sky Sports, I and mean, they won't do it all the time, but there's always that dramatic moment in the and, and it's always like, oh, like as if this could be written, and like, yeah, you have written this. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I just feel like Chelsea will be one nil up for for most of the the game. I think they'll score first half, be knocking on the door, and then like we'll hit them on the counter attack, and we'll get a goal from either Crooks or Force. Okay, um, I'm gonna go really left field here, maybe, but I think Borough go to the bridge and win. I think there's just going to. I think there's just. I there's, so. It's just there's just something about it where I feel that I think Chelsea will dominate and I think they will score first. And yeah, it's not a bad thing if Chelsea score. I don't think it's a bad thing because when the game was even at the Riverside, we did create chances and we created good moments. And I think we'll score to to equalize. And I think we'll just. I think there'll just be a, a just a fluke moment and we'll we'll win it. Went two one at the bridge, gets beat seven nil. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, guys, uh, thank you very much uh, for joining me as always. And to the listeners and viewers, if you give us your, your your score predictions as well for Borough versus Chelsea in the comments, um, or tweet us as well at Borough underscore breakdown or Facebook message or Instagram post, whatever uh, you want to do, and let us know. But for right now, Borough, go and make history at the bridge. Uh, this has been the Borough Breakdown podcast, and that was like Borough match chatter. In a pod, but more breakdown. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 